Hello there, everyone. It is, let's see, Wednesday, the 7th of March, 2018, and this is the promotional Malpractice Live Chat here on MMAfighting.com. Thank you so much for joining me. I greatly appreciate it. My name is Luke Thomas. I'm the host of this program. We'll go for about 88 minutes or so today discussing, stop, buddy, the latest and greatest in, in MMA. Uh, I got my trusty sidekick here with me, Barbas. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. Um, Mano Sariva, there we are. All right, let's put him down because he's annoying as hell. Let's see. We'll talk about uh, UFC 222 today. We'll talk about the potential return of GSP. We'll get into, let's see, uh, Canelo's PED issue. Whatever you guys want to get into, we'll get into that. So best place to do that, of course, is going to be on MMAfighting.com, where this window is embedded. Uh, questions that or comments that turn green. Get priority but not exclusivity. So, um, let's see. Yeah, Barbus is here. He's being annoying, but what else is new? And, uh, yes, the two doors are back. I don't want to make any proclamations. I'm hoping, and I'm only going to use the word hoping. I'm hoping this is the last live chat upstairs. This is my office upstairs. I have a room uh, downstairs on my main floor. I'm hoping that this is my last live chat up here, but I cannot guarantee that, but... Knock on wood. Also got the Google Plus 2 today. Uh, there you go. Got it maybe an hour ago, so I have no review of it. My Google Pixel. Nope. Did I say Plus? Google Pixel. My original Google Pixel was a great phone, but uh, it died. And I could have gotten another one, but I had paid off the phone through the installment. Like, you know, you could pay it off all up front or you can make it part of your plan. I made it part of my plan. And I had done paying it off, so I was like, I'll just get the upgrade. Uh, okay, so let's get to these questions. All right, and we're in the studio today, so I'm hoping that the lighting is okay, hoping everything's okay, and thank you guys so much for joining me. Now Barbus is bored. Hey, all right, let's get to these. First question, uh, Luke Thomas Petrayon. Petrayon. Hiya, Luke. Hiya. Uh, when the hell are you going to set up a Petrayon? Heavy Hands does it. The Co-Main Event Podcast does it. Maybe it's time for you to consider joining the club. Hell, you don't even have to offer rewards. Just set up a profile, set up a $1 tier, and let some of us give you money for all the free content you've been putting together. Maybe the proceeds could go to upgrading your equipment, getting you an intern, or funding more UFC Fight Out episodes like Luke Thomas and his tiny friends. Um, I don't... Jordan Peterson is... Jordan Peterson has a Petrayon? Really? Wow. That's interesting. Uh, and then there's a big debate about Jordan Peterson, which I do not want to get into. Um, let's see. Yeah. Well, again, I have no comment about Jordan Peterson other than you should read his work. You should also read work critical of it. You should read work that likes it and hates it. You should read lots of things. I feel like a lot of people take marching orders and it's fine, you know, Joe Rogan has a great podcast, but I just see a lot of people who only get their intellectual um, uh, leadership cues from what's on the podcast. And I'm not saying I watch the podcast. I, I more watch it than listen to it, but I watch the podcast. So I'm not telling you not to do that. I'm telling you to do that and then add in other ones as well because everyone has sort of the same group think and has the same sort of ideas about the same kinds of guys. And there's a lot of other really interesting people out there that you should potentially explore on your own. But in any case, back to Petrayan. Um, So I, I don't know how – I thought you had to like – 
you had to like, uh, well, if you pay this much, then I'll give you this. And if you pay that much, I'll give you that. If you pay that much, I'll give you that. And I just didn't want to do that because I've got enough work as it is. But maybe you're telling me you can do it without doing that. But here's the thing I'm working on. And again, not, not too many promises so I can avoid this honey dick label that somewhat fairly been attached to me, although I'm trying to move away from that kind of thing. But uh, I'm trying to set up a uh, value proposition with you guys in the future. And by the future, I mean the next couple of months um, where, yes, I would be looking for potentially some of your money if you're interested in handing it over, but not merely on the abstract idea that if you give me money, that would be really nice. Like I, I intend to give you something back specifically, which I realize is how portraying works, but not not through that system, through my own system. Um, so just be on the lookout for that. So we'll see how that goes. But I appreciate it if you guys want to do that. Um, it's very, very nice. And uh, just be on the lookout. I got some other things. We'll, we'll get started here. Um, but I have the, th the truth is at this point, I basically, um, I once I have all the equipment I need, but I have the majority of the equipment that I need a big chunk of it. Let's say, let's say a minimum 70 to let's say 75% of what I need before I had like zero. Now I've got 75. So there's still another chunk to go, but that's not my issue right now. I got other things I'm working on. So I don't really need help with that. To be honest, there's some other things that would help. Um, but I got to get, I got to get downstairs first to do that. So, um, once that's in, and I can make progress. And yes, I like Jordan Peterson just fine. Um, but again, please don't let that be the only person you read about anything social psychology. Dig around. There are many, many, many interesting academics. Um, I used to read only Edward Said. Then I read Bernard Lewis when it came to discussions of um, Israel and Palestine. Also, what you find with these academics is there's really no, nobody wins really, or very few people ever win an argument. We like, to, we like to believe that these academics have all won these arguments, and it's really not quite true. Um, you know, whether or not you believe in what Saeed would call Orientalism, um, there's an entire, you know, there's, I mean, many scholars who do, many scholars who don't. And it's just sort of funny, like, if you ask who won the Lewis Saeed um, dispute, it will just depend entirely on who are their acolytes. Like there's no there's no there's no middle of the road consensus that I'm aware of, so like it's not it's not that the, I'm trying to say there's no value in trying to educate yourself. I guess what I am trying to say though is um, we like to think that the, these scholars who are academics who push through to sort of pop culture or mainstream awareness are the ones who have ultimately won the debate. And on some level, there are probably a couple of issues where they are more right than not. But just always be aware that. There are a lot of different arguments that hold a lot of different persuasive uh, value. And until you seek them out, um, you know, it's hard to appreciate that fact. In any case, neither here. And by the way, let, let me make this self-referential as well. You know, if I recommend to you an academic to go read, I would, I'm not recommending it for, you know, nothing's sake. I'm recommending it because I believe it has value. But then you should also take that cue and then find your own. Right. Find someone who challenges that. Find someone who says that that person's wrong. Read their arguments. Try to process it. Try to see what makes sense to you. Try to see what value there is in terms of an evidentiary basis for what they're saying. Um, if I recommended to you John Nozick or excuse me, Robert Nozick, right? I would I would assume that you would go and read Rawls. Well, Nozick was sort of a response to Rawls, but the idea is that they're sort of, you know, um, veil of ignorance, distributive justice, and then and then these sort of theories of why pattern justice is wrong or whatever. Um, you, you would want to look up both, right? That, that's what you should do. So I do, in fact, recommend 
Uh, people always ask me, like, what is my favorite thing I studied in college in terms of a particular book? Um, there's a lot of really good ones. You know, you could, you could pick um, I mean, stuff from Foucault. Nietzsche, I got a brand new appreciation for. Um, David Hume ended up being so much more significant of a um, thinker than I ever really understood. But it just sort of like if you were thinking about like contemporary stuff, like Anarchy, State, and Utopia from Robert Nozick had a tremendous impact on the way I think. Um, probably a little less so, actually, probably a lot less so than it did 20 years ago, but well, 18 years ago, but um, you get the idea. All right, forget all that. Max, oh, and I got my coffee too. Where's my coffee? There we are, boys and girls. Capital of Los Estados Unidos. Mmm. Black coffee. All right. Max Holloway versus Brian Ortega. The man of the moment, Brian Ortega, secured a featherweight title shot with his impressive win over Frankie Edgar. What do you think are the key points in analyzing how Ortega versus Holloway will play out? What potential scenarios do you see? Who do you think will have the edge? Boy, am I excited about that one. How can you not be? How can you look at that contest and not be super excited about it? It's it, it's incredible in every way you could possibly measure such a thing. So, um, man, here's one of the hard parts about evaluating Brian Ortega. He's easy to evaluate after the fact. Right? In other words, if the fight is over, he beats uh, Clay Guida. You can go back and say, this went right, this went wrong, this appears to be his style. And you go to the next one, whatever, and then you eventually get to Cub Swanson. And then you get to this one. And here's just the truth of it all. Um, he is making so many improvements between fights that it's hard to know exactly what his ceiling is. To me, you could say Frankie was doing really well in this contest, and he was. Oh, really well is a strong word. He was doing just fine in this contest. He was doing the kind of thing that he likes to do. I don't know how much of an impact he was having, but he was doing okay. Um, he was probably winning that first round up until the end there. But the truth is that it looked to me, if you saw the Monday Morning Analyst, Ortega had a good sense about what would work against him and what wouldn't. If you didn't notice this before, if you did not watch the Monday Morning Analyst, he threw that slashing elbow over the top. Uh, it's more of a down elbow than anything else, but it's sort of like a side down elbow. But in any case, he throws the down elbow, um, and that was basically what began the beginning of the end, right? That was the thing that put everything into motion. He threw that at 4.38 of the first round. They knew that was going to be a problem. If you watch his post-fight interview, pardon me, with Joe Rogan, he says, you know, I've got these big, long T-Rex arms. I knew I wasn't going to be able to reach him because he's too far out. And you can see a couple times in the Monday Morning Analyst, I spotlighted, he's trying to throw that left hook, that check hook to catch him, and he just never really can get it going. In fact, Edgar was trying to draw it out so he could counter over the top, but eventually he was able to just find it when Edgar wasn't really uh, um, minding his, his distance and his motion. So here's my point about this all. To me, on the face of it, Holloway's ability to make adjustments over time is going to be a big problem for Ortega. And Holloway's ability to maintain distance. Holloway's, Holloway's distance management is really kind of incredible. We know he can fight southpaw and circle both directions. We know he can fight orthodox and fight both directions, right? Circling either way. Um, and I just think that modular style of striking is ultimately going to be a bridge too far for Brian Ortega. But do I really know that? Now, I'm not me. I, I, I don't. I don't know that for any contest, right? I don't know. I don't have any certainty about any outcome. But I just mean, if he got that good between the Swanson fight and this one, how good is he going to be for the next? I mean, it's just a shocking level of improvement. 
uh, fight over fight. So my sense is that the jab of Holloway, the really good distance management, the ability to draw out a response and tag him with it and then get out of the way, the ability to not get caught up against the fence. He doesn't need to shoot ever, right? He didn't shoot once against Jose Aldo, I don't believe. He didn't need to, you know? I think that's probably going to be a bridge too far for Brian Ortega. But, you know, did did I see, did any of you donkeys out there think he was going to put away Frankie Edgar in the first round? I certainly didn't think that. I thought he could win, but I didn't think, you know, he would just go in there and blow the doors off of him. I mean, so so to me, it's, you know, uh, at this point, Holloway's improving as well, but I think is a slightly more known quantity. We have a, we have a much better sense exactly about the kind of game he employs, you know, for the most part. Ortega is still not a finished product, although he's getting there. He's getting pretty close. So to me, it's just, you know, what what is the... What, what, Ortega always gives up the fight early and then takes it late. Now, I'm not saying he gives up the fight early like, you know, guys just have these incredible leads that he just can't catch up with. But even Edgar was a little bit ahead in this one. Fightmetric put out a striking total differential for his previous fights. He'd been outstruck in virtually all of them, at least in terms of a sort of a numeric counting, whatever that's worth. And I think the same thing will happen against Holloway. Can he pull a rabbit out of the hat? He keeps doing it. He literally has not only won all of his UFC fights, well, and no contest against De La Torre notwithstanding, but he finished everybody. Like, you know, am I really in a position to say this guy? Well, he has no chance. Word? Uh, all right. Bantam or bust? God, I wish I had a Kleenex. Hey, Luke, considering the way the co-main went down at UFC 222, surely now is the time for Frankie to make a move down to 135. The size difference between himself and T-City and the majority of the 145ers is stark, and his natural frame would indicate that Bantamweight is the logical division for him to be in. Who wouldn't want to see him go up against the other cream of that division? TJ, Cody, and Frankie? Come on, that's just a no-brainer. Uh, sure, but then there's a problem there with a couple of different directions. Let's pull up those rankings because, by the way, I can't wait to get um, my keyboard switched out. I've never used a mechanical keyboard for gaming, yeah, not that handy for, not that handy for typing for productivity. Uh, okay, here we go. All right, bantamweight. So here's the top of the division. Dillashaw, of course, is your champion. Then it's Garbrandt, Cruz, Asuncao, Rivera, Morais, Lineker, Dotson, Sterling. So if you put him in there, you could say, oh, he could get one win. And he could do it. But could he beat Dominic Cruz? Maybe. Could he beat Cody Garbrandt? Maybe. But I wonder how the speed would translate down there, both directions. How how would his speed hold up? Um, how would he handle the speed of everyone else? Because um, it wasn't a, he didn't get beat on a speed issue. He got beat on a timing and, and pattern recognition issue. That to me is a little bit different, right? So like everyone's like, oh, the weight class change will help. Like weight class change, weight class changes can help because it can refresh the person's brand. Um, they might be able to get a win over somebody new, and and, and if you feel like there's all these new permutations or something. I'm really sorry, I've got a really runny nose today for some reason. Um, so there's that, but. God, Jesus Christ. But um, it's not really clear to me. First of all, Marlon Marais, his teammate is up there at five. Um, does he deserve a shot ahead of him? Hard to argue about that. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying he couldn't beat those guys in the top five. Maybe he could, but it's a bit unknown to me. In other words, like, I'm not suggesting it's there's no value to dropping, but it's it's not one of those cases where dropping has an automatic appeal. Yes, T-City was bigger, but T-City had to overcompensate the, the difference in their body structure in order to make that work. That's why he threw the elbow, right? Because the hook was just too slow and too wide. Frankie was able to get inside of it. He loses that advantage. 
he loses that advantage to bantamweight. So, or at least presumably he does. So, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, someone says I have a similar question below that ties in with this. What's next for him? Let me say, uh, in order to keep the MMA machine working, every division needs a healthy turnover of new younger fighters taking out the old guard. However, watching Frankie lose to Ortega on Saturday was heartbreaking. Probably so. He didn't have to take the fight and could have sat out and waited for Max to be healthy for his title shot like Woodley did at welterweight. With Max versus Ortega clearly the next bout, what do you think Frankie should do next? Uh, maybe give Bantamweight a spin. I really don't think he's that far out of the woods on featherweight either, though. Like, here's featherweight, right? So you have to ask yourself, is his chin gone? I'm a little bit hesitant to say that it is. Now, number one, you have Max Holloway. Two, excuse me, Holloway's your champ. One, you have Ortega. Two is Aldo. Three is Edgar. Four is Swanson, who Edgar beat. Five is Stevens, who Swanson beat. And six and seven are two guys who just got viciously KO'd in Emmett and Lamas. And then after that's, you know, Oakens and John and Rodriguez. My point being is, you know, maybe Stevens on his new run would be a real big problem for Frankie Edgar. But it's not like Edgar's like super far outside. Now, I guess we'll see what happens with Jose Aldo, but he's been finished twice by Holloway. So if Holloway stays the champ, even if he holds some kind of dominant ranking position, um, he's, not that, he's not that far. He's not really ahead. Of, I mean, he's ahead of him, but he's not really ahead of him. In other words, Edgar's sitting at three. Three is a good position to be in. So if he can get a rebound win, and these are big ifs, you know, we'll see what they say about him uh, in terms of what the wins and losses look like going forward. But to me, it's like he got he got hit with a clean shot because he just made an error about his entry. Um, I don't know that going to bantamweight solves that problem, and you're already in the number three spot at featherweight. Maybe give it another shot. You know, maybe I mean, but if that now the issue is if they make him fight Aldo to get it, well then you might want to consider bantamweight, right? Because at that point, you, this is a guy you fought ten rounds, and you know you took two of them, maybe. You know, so uh, there's that. Whenever you want someone to drop a weight class, it has to sort of be like a really obvious reason. Like, let me give you an example. What's a good case? What's a really good case for somebody dropping from um, heavyweight to light heavyweight? I would argue Brandon Vera after the Fabricio Verdum loss because he gets taken down by Verdum and Verdum gets to mount and he passes him and gets to mount. And you can say to yourself, well, that's Fabricio Verdum. He does that to a lot of people if you wanted to. That's true. But there was like when when Verdum was on top of him, you were like, holy crap, like th this is a different sized person, you know, and, and I know you saw that in this one, but he was using that size to really great effect. Frankie's always been able to use his undersize as there are trade offs, there are there are costs to it, but there are benefits as well. And he's been really good, really. This is why he's been so successful, right? He's been really good about not just having a great skill set, but taking some of those trade-offs in terms of the beneficial side of things and making them really work for him. So yes, there are some costs. You know, he's outsized. He can be physically moved around a little bit. Um, you know, he has to get inside a lot of long reaches, but he's really good at that. And he's really good at that in part because he has a lot of a speed advantage. So he plays with those trade-offs really well when those things get evened out a little bit more as he goes down to bantamweight, presumably. I mean, I would imagine that would happen to some degree, right? What does the equation look like then for him? And I think that's a bit of a different issue. All right, let's see here. They cowl in me. Uh, all right. 
Someone says DJ Cruz. Oh, this is oh Danny Segura. DJ Cruz is a good example too. DJ was technically there, but Cruz just had too much size on him. Yeah, you saw in that fight earlier. It was in here in DC, the, what used to be the Verizon Center, right? He goes in there, and DJ was really, really good early, but then Cruz started using his wrestling and his size, and then controlling him, weighing on him, leaning on him. So that's why some people are like, well, DJ should go up and fight TJ at one thirty-five, and I'm like, I don't know. We kind of know how that movie ends. There's a little bit of a limit ultimately to um, how good his technique is relative to size. That we it, we've seen that guys cannot necessarily be as good as him. Uh, maybe in all facets of the game, obviously Dominic Cruz is incredibly talented in his own right, but maybe not not quite as well rounded um, as Demetrius Johnson. But didn't have to be because let's say even if they're even in the wrestling department, that evenness plus Cruz's size, it was just way way too much for DJ. Now that was seven years ago or so, give or take. Uh, maybe six, but uh, you get the idea. It has a real, real big impact. So um, so to me, it's like everyone's like, go down to Bantamweight. Not a bad idea. I'm not saying no. You're still three. So depending on what kind of fights they give you at three, maybe, maybe stick it out. Someone says, call me crazy, but I don't think Ortega stands a chance against Max, this person writes. They say, even though he caught Frankie, I'm not convinced his striking is anywhere near Holloway. If Ortega Frankie happened today, I highly doubt it would end the same way. Frankie was winning that fight up until the elbow. Yeah, it wasn't like he was running away with it, but I agree. Ortega had problems on the feet with Clay, Cub, and Frankie. I just don't feel Ortega's it will somehow work out mindset is sustainable. Max is a different animal. Uh, maybe so. True, false. I will wreck this. Holloway Ortega 3 will eventually happen. Mm, I'll say true. Ortega is a bigger threat to Max on the feet. Then Max is to Ortega on the ground, outside of Ortega already being hurt. True. True. Max Holloway finishes Ortega. False. This matchup is even more intriguing than Habib versus Tony. That's an entirely subjective response. To me, there is nothing. I won't say nothing. But basically to me, basically, Habib versus Tony is the is basic is basically as good as MMA gets. Um, not saying it's the biggest fight. I don't know how the fight's going to look. It might end up being a one-sided mauling. But on paper, more or less, MMA doesn't really come much better. So is it more intriguing than that one? I could hear arguments about it. It doesn't feel that way for me, however. Ortega pulls guard on Max Holloway. You never know with him, but probably not. He likes to use his questions, um, punches. Uh Considering both are known for their cardio and ability to step it up in rounds two and three, who has the advantage early and who has the cardio advantage? I would still say, yeah, it's interesting because both guys get stronger as the fight goes on, but I just think that the way in which they match up with, with one guy having much more refined striking and really excellent distance management, um, even if there is some kind of surge middle to late by Ortega, Max doesn't fade. So it's like, you know... Uh, the champ champ, Sam Nunberg. That's funny. The former, this is this is a green question. The former Trump aide de, uh, deified Mueller's, excuse me, I can't read. The former Trump aide defied Mueller's subpoena, saying in an interview in The Atlantic, the champ champ does whatever the F he wants. Does this reference say more about McGregor's popularity, the quality of the UFC's broader audience, or the character of Trump's staff? Um, that's an interesting one. If you guys don't know who Sam Nunberg is, he's like a New York political operative. He was actually with Trump prior to him ever. He was like his political consultant prior to him ever even running. He's also the architect behind um, the sort of messaging around the wall. You know, build that wall. The wall is important. 
right? This is the guy that can take credit for that. Uh, in any case, he had a falling out with Trump and everything else. But does this reference more McGregor's popularity? Yes. The quality of the UFC's broader audience, probably, on um, the character of Trump's staff. Well, remember, Trump is, in a, is a fight fan, too, to some degree, anyway. So, um, so I'll say true on all three. How about that? All right. Canelo failed drug test versus failed drug tests in the UFC. The biggest match in boxing, Canelo versus Triple G2, is in jeopardy. LOL. It's really in jeopardy. This is fight in jeopardy. Do you guys really think this won't happen? Come on, y'all. I know that's what she's just asking, but I'm let's let's live here in the in the real world. After Canelo failed a drug test when Clembuterol was traced in his system. It's still fresh and nothing is decided yet, but I got the feeling the fight will go ahead anyway. Yeah, no kidding, it will. The WBA president, um, Gilbert Jesus Mendoza, publicly defended Canelo, uh, or Hubert Jesus Mendoza, whatever, publicly defended Canelo just a day after the news broke. He even said... It will add a bit of drama, almost as it was good for the promotion. Yes. How would you compare how the boxing world and media commissions deals with situations like this compared to how the UFC and MMA media would handle deals like this? Well, it's uh, first of all, I mean, the fight should go forward, right? I mean, absent him, some kind of egregious follow-up or something. I, I, why, like, does anybody really feel like... First of all, I thought Canelo lost the first one, to be to be honest. I didn't realize he got a, a bizarre scorecard there. But let's just start with that. I thought he lost it. And you could say, well, that's why he's on this kind of stuff. But um, it's his natural weight class, uh, for the most part, um, at 160 at middleweight. It's not like he – I mean, I guess if he was really trying to pack on lean muscle and wanted to use clenbuterol to lose weight, other extra kind of fat weight, maybe that would make sense. But that might have consequences later in the fight. So, like, you have to be very delicate about – changing your body composition and how you expect it to operate unless you're on a whole cocktail of things, which I suppose is possible too. Um, but I, here, here's my general sense of this. You guys know my position on PEDs. Well, at least you have some idea about it. Um, but in this particular case, whatever you think about this, and if you want to be suspicious about any uh, further use, I think that's probably justified. However, his, his claim is quite plausible. Um, you know, the UFC has had a number of guys test positive for this, and the majority of which um, came from Mexico or China, the very two places that the USDA has, uh, you know, placed additional, I think, restrictions on how they import and the kind of quality of meat they import as a consequence. And there's two places that I believe either USADA or Uruguada or both have warned athletes about consuming meat in, given that these are some pretty... Uh, Significant issues. What is clenbuterol? It's like the big brother of ephedrin. It enables uh, lean muscle growth, but while being a bit of a fat burner, right? So you can get bigger livestock with um, um, perhaps less, perhaps less fat. Uh, in any case, um, there's all kinds of different uses for clenbuterol, by the way, but that's the biggest one. And it's not that there's no reason why he wouldn't take it but the fact that he was training in mexico the fact that you had the entire what i forget what year it was um or maybe four or five five or six years ago would have the entire under 17 youth team for mexico's 
World Cup team, they all tested positive for it. You had Augusto Montano, you had Ning Guangzhou, you had um, uh, even um, Brandon Moreno tested positive for it. Like all these guys did. And if you read Kevin Ioli's article about it where he spoke to Victor Conti, whatever that is worth to you, he noted that this wasn't parts per million or even parts per billion, it was parts per trillion. That, that, that was consistent with, yes, they can detect it, but they detect it in such a way where it's consistent with the kinds of things they see when people eat meat. He's immediately moving his camp to the United States. He'll undergo additional testing. Um, this is a guy who up to this point, I realize he had some weight cut issues previously in his career. So that might be a red flag for some of you. But if you're asking me about all the guys who've ever been caught and had their claims be you know, relatively plausible about the fact that they were not on anything, this is a pretty strong one. Um, uh, if you care about that sort of thing at all. So number one, I don't think that the boxing world is in as is in up in arms as much for those various reasons. Yes, it's maybe their biggest star, but at the same time that there's a lot of mitigating circumstances here that are that are worth taking seriously. So that's the first part. The second part is there is the WBC clean boxer program, um, but I don't know how that I don't know how widely. Um, not accepted it is it's not the right word like people take it seriously but uh it's not how do i say this exactly this is i just don't think they care as much i think partly that world is a little bit jaded i think they have a sense about to what degree the sausage is made in certain ways when I mean, you're putting these guys bodies through these incredibly brutal careers i mean you can have somebody compete for 10 years they can compete clean and they can fight everyone else who's clean. They can train with everybody who's clean and they're going to come out the other side of the game looking like they've been ridden hard and put away wet, right? You're going to get, this is a sport about destroying another person's body in the case of MMA and certainly about their upper body um, in boxing, right? That, that is the entire purpose of this is to destroy it. Um, they're going to come out bad the other side. And so I think they just feel like um, here's a case where there's some plausible deniability. Sure, it's the biggest star, but if you're the Vegas commission, frankly, you need this fight for the local economy. There's no, I mean, again, unless something changes from here on out, but if this is the only positive test, there's no way that fight doesn't go forward. No way. And I think that the boxing media is a little bit resigned to, you know, there's, and we're, we're the same way in the MMA media, but more so in the boxing media, they're just resigned to, underhanded things that are covered up in broad daylight, which I'm not saying this is, but let's, let's for the moment, for the sake of argument, let's say that it is, they would just sort of be resigned to it. You know, they would be resigned to it. Someone says, uh, we know your views on PEDs, like you said, but when you have testing, don't you think fighters should adhere to the rules and be punished if they break them? I'm not sure in what capacity Canelo's not in adherence to them. Um, again, he has a plausible deniability that this is not a false positive, but that the nature of the use such as you want to call it that, from eating steak, um, has a totally innocuous explanation. So he may actually be in compliance other than for some kind of complaint about strict liability. Um, you know, if you don't want to dock him for strict liability, you can. That's what, That was ultimately what Yoel Romero or Tim Means got knocked for. Yes, the stuff was in your system, but they had a plausible explanation for how it got there and, in fact, evidence to back that up. He, I don't know exactly what evidence he can marshal at this point about, you know, receipts about what he's been eating or where he's been eating, but let's presume for a moment that he does. It's a plausible explanation. It's a, it is. Um, now, in the end, everyone's going to make their own mind up about how much they want to accept that. Um, but 
I just feel like the commissions there, they realize they have limited means to deal with it. The media is sort of relatively used to the powerful getting away with crazy things. You remember the um, remember the retroactive TUE that Mayweather got uh, at the Pacquiao fight? Um, and then the boxing world, ultimately the community, what do they want to see? They want to see the fight. So if you have a case where somebody has a plausible explanation, even if they're a celebrity, and the commission needs the fight, the state needs the fight, the fans want to see the fight, plausible explanation for it, and by the way, he's doing some PR stuff where, you know, let's move to the United States immediately, let's um, uh, submit to further testing. Who really cares, I think, is their attitude. And I, frankly, I feel like that's the right attitude to have here. I think this, I think, look, there is a place, I know this might sound crazy to you given my position, there is, I think, some kind of place for anti-doping. You know, I think we have to completely reform what that conversation is. Um, but even in a reform sense or a a, a, a a place of anti-doping zealotry, this is not the kind of hill you want to die on. The Canelo uh, Triple G fight shouldn't go forward. I, I, I just, again, and if something changes between here and then, then we'll have that conversation again. But as it stands today... You y'all want to die on the hill that this guy may have eaten steak in Mexico? I mean, that seems absurd. All right, GSP's potential fights and future in the UFC. Yeah, I didn't like his comments too much. GSP recently talked to Ariel, yes, he did, about what fights might interest him. He wasn't specific. I think he was specific. I mean, when I, I'll see what I mean in just a minute. He talked about legacy fights and kind of ruled out Woodley, Connor, Askren, Nick, and Nate. Okay, well, I mean, that's pretty specific if you ask me. Who do you think GSP considers a legacy fight? World title fight at a third weight, 155 against Tabib, Tony, or Connor? The super fight would never happen against Anderson Silva because God only knows what's going to happen to him. What do you think and who was with? So I watched this and I was like, like, I didn't know what to make of it. So apparently being at 185 is like literally bad for his health. So I'm assuming we can rule that out. So now our 170 and below, 155 appears to be, God damn it, on the table. Do I have a effing Kleenex? Good Lord. Got allergies like a mug today, bro. Um, so 185 off the table, 175 on the table, 155 presumably on the table, presumably some kind of catchweight in between on the table. So here's what he goes through and he says, I don't want the champion at uh, 170. Connor, he didn't rule it out, but was not like, he, he He says he wasn't in it for the money. For the, I mean, money's nice, but that it was for a legacy fight. Well, now you've ruled out Connor and you've ruled out Woodley, the two champions. Okay. Askren you ruled out, but... I don't even know if that'd be possible because I believe he still had fights left on his one deal when he retired. Although maybe they would let him out for that kind of an opportunity. And then you have Nick and Nate, he ruled out. Well, who are you ruling in? So my thought was one like yours, which was let's see if Habib wins and then maybe he would fight Habib like wrestler versus wrestler and let's see how that would go. That would be kind of interesting, but he didn't really say. But to me, everyone's like, oh, he was, he, you know, he wasn't specific. He was weird. He was saying he wanted the kinds of fights against the very candidates he said he didn't want the fights against. It's like, now the, the Diaz brothers notwithstanding, I don't think they would do much for him. To me, the one they should do, and I, I again, probably is impossible to be asking my preference. I certainly wouldn't be opposed to a Conor McGregor fight. Um, who who would? But if you're asking me like what I would really like to see, I would really like to see the Askren fight. And I, I'll tell you why. People, and I understand St. Pierre's explanation. I thought this one was, was good. It was like, it's not that he's not talented, but he spent the majority of his career really outside the UFC and nobody knows him. And um, that would be a bit of a problem. He's looking for that sweet spot where the guy has a lot of name, or at least some name, some notoriety, and obviously a lot of ability. But the but the that one is interesting to me. If you could sign him, I feel like 
Askren would sell the hell out of that fight. The fact that this guy would be on the outside looking in would be um, a story in and of itself. You know, at, at loggerheads with this promotion, a guy who went back and forth with the president of the organization, uh, an Olympian. You know, Ben Askren, and I mean this absolutely as a compliment, has a big mouth, right? He likes to talk. He is a great, a great self-promoter. You do all those things where you tell this bigger story. You have Ben, let let Ben do what Ben's going to do, and then put the fight in Canada. Put that fight in Montreal. You mean to tell me that fight wouldn't do well? I have a hard time believing that. Um, I get that there would be a learning curve for the audience, but it can be done, man. It can be done. So, um Maybe that's all a pipe dream. It probably is terribly unrealistic, but that's just my preference for this one. But again, who would be against GSP versus Connor? I mean, you know, it just seems like a really an obvious choice at some point. Uh, or Habib. The Habib fight would be interesting too. Habib versus GSP, that, that captures my attention for sure. He didn't seem to back away from the Askren fight, more that he wanted Askren to have a couple fights in the UFC first. Yeah, that'd be cool too, man. Oh, here we go. Look at that. Um, maybe it's just me, but I want to see GSP versus Askren. GSP can be the first to beat Askren if he needs motivation. I think that's the most fascinating matchup among all the names mentioned. I would agree. GSP versus Woodley is also a fascinating fight stylistically, but Woodley's a champ. I want Woodley to defend his belt against RDA. In other words, I'd like to see GSP fight, but not for the belt or against any belt holders. To be honest, I'd rather see GSP fight any of the Diaz bros than a belt holder. Well, the belt holder thing to me is like a non-starter. Like I, The fact that he already had this title and then it dropped it, and you're going to give him another title shot, that's why the Askren fight to me is so interesting. One, for all the reasons I mentioned before. Two, you don't have to put a title up for grabs. So to me, it's like this guy, and I understand it, you know, these guys are going to use the game to their own uh, needs to the best of their ability. But no, thank you. Do not give him a title shot under any circumstance whatsoever. Hey, Luke, if you're from China or Mexico, wouldn't taking clan butyrol make sense if you wanted to cheat? If you get caught, you can just blame the beef. Right, well, to a point. Can you take it in such a way that they only are able to find parts per trillion in your body? I mean, if you're really using clenbuterol in any kind of uh, drug protocol, absent of short microdosing, which is possible, it wouldn't really show up that way. So just keep that in mind. Good Lord, man. I cannot breathe. All right. Frankie's chin. I want to try to word this carefully. What I'm about to say is not to minimize the skill of Ortega and what he achieved because he deserves all the praise he's getting and then some. Agreed. However, Frankie has probably been hit harder by other fighters. Maybe. I feel the Frankie Edgar, who was the 155-pound champ, wouldn't have gotten knocked out from those strikes. I wonder if the damage he's taken over the years has finally caught up to him. P.S. Great job on the Monday Morning Analyst this week. Oh, well, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. I love it when you guys watch that. I know I know the audio was completely effed up this week. I don't know what happened. I recorded it with the same software. I did the one the week before. It just it came out bad. And I didn't realize it until the very end. And I was like, oh my God. So sorry about that. Um, okay. So let me make a point here before we get to this discussion, because it involves sensitive topics, and I think it's worth uh acknowledging. What the F? 
Okay. All right. Let me um let me say this. How do I start this conversation off? Because I think it's important to have. You're asking a question. I like the way you started this question. Who wrote this? This is from Overeem's Chin. Well, he apparently is obsessed with chins. Um, someone says, I want to try to word this carefully. Let me say something about my role in this, uh, what it is that we do here. And I'm glad you used the wording that you used because I agree. I agree. We should try to use our words carefully, and we don't always do that. Lord knows I don't. I try. I do try, but I fail. Um, but for the most part, I do believe in having some kind of uh, discretion and exercising it uh, when making these comments. For one part, we just don't really know. My biggest answer to your question is, have I seen Frankie hit harder? Sure. One of the issues about this one was that he didn't see it coming, which the replay shows pretty clearly. And of course, as they always say, the ones you don't see coming, you can't brace for them, even if it lands and you can brace and you can kind of, it's like a car crash, almost if you can, no one rolls with the car crash, but if you can like almost put the steering wheel just out of the way and if you can get it just right to avoid it, you might still get hit, but you can minimize the impact, right? Something like that. Um, and so if you can see it coming, you can kind of put the shoulder up and it might, it might bounce and hit your head and it might hurt, but you'll be all right. You know, it's not going to be a fight ender. If you don't see it coming and you just get stole on, which is what happened. And that's when it's really been an issue. And I'm very, very sensitive about talking about people um, like in Edgar who are legends in the game. But I think it's pretty clear at this point, you know, he's 35 years old. When did he make his UFC debut? I remember it was against Tyson Griffin. I remember him. I remember that was when Tyson Griffin was a beast. And I was like, Patrick Griffin's about to run over this donk from New Jersey. LOL. That didn't work out so good for me. So he's 36 now. Uh, he just turned it in October. 36 years old. So he made his debut back in his seventh yeah, seventh fight against Tyson Griffin. That was after beating in reality fighting Davidis Torsavicius, you guys may not remember, and then Jim Miller. Uh, so, And then he beat him like it was a good fight, but in the end, he, he really stuck it to him. Then he beat, Mar I remember he beat Mark Bocek. That was so surprising. Um, okay, so um, what can we say about this? I just want to make a very quick point, if I may. Whenever I do these things, I'm always trying to have, again, exercising some discretion to be respectful. But ultimately, my job is to be candid. That, that is what my job is to do. Like, I, I can't do that job if I'm not. And I know that that carries, um, people get mad about it sometimes, which I understand as well. I don't expect people to like it, including the fighters that I cover sometimes. Um, but I just want to be, make a point here. I don't, I don't need you to always agree with me. I don't, in fact, nor do I expect it. In fact, I go back and watch things I've said in the past and I'm like, I don't agree with that anymore. You know, people's views change. People's views differ. Here's what I am asking for is for the latitude to be candid. If you're going to use that candor responsibly, and sometimes people don't, including me, but if you're going to use that candor responsibly, then we should create a space for that to, to be honored. Uh, I'm just pointing out, it, I'm not going to say anything about Edgar that's super crazy. In fact, you'll be like, well, what's this preamble all about? The point of the preamble is, what kind of media do you want? It's really sort of a question you have to ask yourself. Um, you, you really have to get into the weeds in here and say, do we want a media that's going to say things that they mean? And should they be, if they're going to use that discretion uh, in an honorable way, we should provide that latitude. Anyway, I just want to point that out. Like, 
whenever I get asked about somebody's chin, I'm very sensitive about it, particularly for someone like Frankie Edgar, because um, I know I might upset certain people. Some people will, will, you know, lose their mind over any kind of answer about this. If it's anything, but he, he's fine. Look, here's my point. I don't think there's enough evidence to conclude that it's um, gone for the reason that I mentioned before that this was a shot. He didn't see coming. However, I do think it's worth questioning that whether the amount of accumulated damage has had an impact on him at this point. Um, because I would agree with you. I have seen him take bigger beatings for longer and he persevered, but what can you really expect? You know, you can't, you cannot, you cannot, that, that kind of punishment load is just not sustainable. Um, and even the super elite, unbelievable tough ones, you know, we always talk about toughness as a function of heart and motivation. It can be, it can be. It's also just a function of what your body will allow. And the ones who are really tough don't understand that until the body begins to quit on them. Now, am I saying that's what's happening to Frankie? Um, he has such a high degree of both this and this that it's going to have to come way down before you really notice it in such a way where there's no going back. Um, this KO, by the way, does not help that. You know, even if he had survived and then lost, he still would have had all that damage he accumulated. Like he lost to Jose Aldo in the rematch, but he had all that damage that he took. There's a look, the bill is coming due. The bill is coming due, and uh, it's going to have to be paid. So I, I don't, I don't, I'm not here to declare that, uh oh, well, you know, it's gone now. Chin's been cracked. He can't take a shot anymore. It's not what I'm saying, but it is probably worth noting. This is a guy who, um, Takes a lot of damage, but tries to avoid it too. But you know, you want to fight in bigger weight classes. Here's part of that trade-off, right? Trade-off is I'm going to have a speed advantage. The other part of the trade-off is I'm going to be fighting guys who are going to land on me hard. Uh, and and at some point, you just can't ignore the accumulative weight of it all. And it's we'll have to wait and see if if that's where we are now. Someone says, "Who knows if Edgar's chin has deteriorated or not?" But in my eyes, my eyes, excuse me. Those two Ortega shots landed on Edgar are pretty damn brutal. Agreed. And I would have expected Edgar to be hurt by them, even knowing his chin. Right. But I would have expected him to be hurt by the other ones and not survive, and he did. The point is, he has always survived the impossible. And this, I agree, is the impossible. But this time, he didn't. And that that does feel like a bit of a shift. I have no way of knowing for sure, but I bet Nate Diaz would have been rocked by that elbow as well. Just about anybody would, man. Just about anybody would. It was a hard elbow. And he stepped into it, too. You know, and he and and, and it, 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 look, watch it. He comes like it doesn't come straight from the side. It all it gets a, there's a bit of a wind up on it because he has to come over the right hand of Edgar and then bring it down and boom, he crushes him with it, bro. It is, it is vicious. Someone says people have hit him harder. Just watch the Maynard fights. It's hard for me to say that Frankie would have gotten his lights put out here. We'll have to we'll have to see what he does next. Is really the answer, but I do think that it's worth at least acknowledging that uh, the days of him having these incredibly resilient comebacks might be coming to an end. So, let's see. Uh, Ortega also mentioned that the elbow landed on Frankie's recently healed orbital. That took him out of the first matchup. That may have had a psychological effect beyond the physically rocking him. Maybe, but that looked like it physically rocked him to me. I mean, dude, you're getting hit right here with a vicious-ass elbow after 
a career that began in the UFC in 2007, but a career in fighting in 2005. I mean, I, I, the fact that he, the, the fact that he can even go this long without being like his chin being bad is pretty amazing, you know. But all, all, all I'll tell you, the bill comes due for everybody if they stay. If you stick around long enough, the bill comes due for everybody. Maybe not Mark Hunt, right? He can still take a ridiculous shot, but uh, everybody else. Um, Hector Lombard, DQ, right or wrong, other options for the ref. The DQ of Lombard after hitting CB Dalloway after the horn has caused some controversy. Big John McCarthy said it was an okay DQ. Others have argued the other way, saying it was in the middle of a combo, that the ref marks the end of the round, not the horn, and bring up home versus GDR as a reference. What other options did he have? No contest, point deduction, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then everyone gets mad that this dude gets his question wrecked. Here's the here's the issue with this. I'll make this very quick. Big John McCarthy is, didn't simply say the uh, the DQ was okay. He explained why. And his answer was, yes, it's true that the referee, after the horn, signals the end of the round. Even then, he still thought that Lombard's punch was late. Lombard, as my judgment, is a veteran of 45 fights. He knows exactly what he's doing. And... The issue he had was with the referee. The referee could have done a bit of a better job. His point was the referee was a little bit, if the two fighters are here and the referee's here, he should have been like much closer to them. He was kind of off to the distance. And so when he put his hand up, there wasn't enough space between them. That can either usually physically block or at least mentally deter somebody. The notion he had was that when you hear the 10 second mark at the end of the round, you as a referee need to have a countdown in your head going. And when you get to three in your head, you need to be within the sight lines of the fighters so that psychologically they know the end is nigh. Now, if they get, you know, if somebody gets rocked or something at the five-second mark and they're trying to finish somebody off, it's a bit of a different story. But if they're standing apart like that, that was his only issue. But that the call he made to disqualify him seemed pretty accurate, and I'm really not in much of a position to disagree with that. I, I too, at first thought, oh, DQ, and then I was like, well, I don't know. But um, not that I defer to Big John in all cases like this. We're allowed to have our own opinion, but his argument seems pretty good to me. <laughs> And the Oscar for the worst acting goes to C.B. Dalloway. Faking the KO to get the win by DQ. He was never out. He was dropped and rocked. But he was always alert and pretty aware of what was happening. It's a pretty salacious charge. It's a pretty salacious charge. Uh, let's see. Is Rockhold the new Rousey? Hi, Luke. I have noticed a similarity between these two fighters, and I wanted to get your thoughts. Both are insanely talented grapplers who have added some dangerous striking weapons to their arsenals and those new skills to relatively good effect. Well, let's be real about this. Rockhold is a significantly more advanced striker than Ronda Rousey ever was, but okay. Um, both also showed themse <clears throat> themselves to be susceptible to the influence of their egos often opting for striking heavy game plans and eschewing their most dangerous assets of ground control and submissions. Obviously, getting the fight to the ground against Romero is easier said than done. Yeah, you think? But Rockhold never even made a move in that direction. Both have also shown less than iron chins and a propensity to leave them in the air. Um, there's probably some comparisons you can make, but I really don't feel like that's fair. Luke Rockhold, at least in terms of his talent, is way, way more well-rounded. Um, he's not a guy who got, a, you know, who was some like Bushesha like figure who then matriculated over to MMA. That's not who he is. He was a guy who, 
Uh, you know, he's he's a very very good grappler, but you know, he's not Keenan Cornelius who then came over or something, which is a little bit more akin to what Ronda Rousey would be. You know, Rousey was doing this in a division that wasn't at the time nearly as sturdy. Um, Luke Rockle has excellent striking. I mean, he's got his holes too, but he's got excellent striking, uh, especially relative to Rousey. And I don't know. I don't really find that to be a very – I'm not saying there are not any parallels, but that's not – that doesn't feel like the best comparison to me. Um, but I do agree that, like, if you go watch my Monday Morning Analyst for that one, my big knock on him was his attempted wrestling. I didn't think he could out-wrestle Romero. That's not the issue. The issue was to make Romero work to get Romero tired because once he's tired, he's a completely different fighter. And then just kind of jabbing on the outside and letting Romero block and parry and then get his energy back and then explode on you is, is, uh, as you can see, not great. So again, not, a, not a horrible comparison, but there's real limits to that. However, there might be some about sense of self, but I mean, like whenever a fighter is really confident and then they lose, we're always like, this guy was way too arrogant. I don't know. Does he train like an arrogant person? Right? A really arrogant person who thinks that they don't, that someone's not on their level, they're not going to, prob I mean, probably they're not going to train as hard. Like Conor McGregor's arrogant, but he trains like a humble person, you know, from what I can tell anyway. Now, there might be, still be issues with that because he still gets tired, but that may just be something genetic or psychological or. I don't know, but dude trains hard. Like he trains really hard, you know? So th is there any indication Luke Rockhold doesn't train hard? And Ronda Rousey trained hard, but she was like, I can't even talk to the media and you know, had these weird, super odd barriers that she tried to erect around herself to compensate for something that just always seemed terribly out of place. I don't know. Again, not the best comparison. Bisping Rockhold Trilogy. Do y'all have interest in this? I'm not saying I hate it, but I don't know. It doesn't really get me going. Uh, all right. Bisping Rockhold Trilogy. Rockhold is campaigning for a fight versus Bisping at light heavyweight. What do you make of it? it makes sense story-wise, but it won't move Luke up the rankings if he wins. Rockhold was a big favorite last time. The Bisping KO win was almost seen as a fluke, but Rockhold's fights since then have shown us that he is very hittable and walks into shots he shouldn't. I almost feel like he's 50-50 this time with Mike having the edge in the feet and Luke on the ground. How do you see the potential of the third fight between the two play out? I don't know. I'd see Luke as having a pretty big favorite. That cut really drains him. I think that can affect his chin. I know some people don't want to hear that, but I do think it's true. Um... Well, we know it to be true. Whether it's true in his case is debatable, but as a general rule, if you have a really tough weight cut, that can affect your ability to take a shot. Um, so so maybe he, there would be less of an issue for him on the ground. I think he wipes the floor with just about anybody uh, in either of those divisions, to be honest. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Um, but I don't really have any interest in it. It's like It seems like a grudge for Luke. I think it's a fight he thinks he could get back if he had another chance. And I, I agree there's some story there. There's a trilogy there, but... And I wouldn't hate it if they make it. I'm not, I wouldn't hate it, but I don't know. This doesn't do it for me. I can't quite put my finger on it, but. Mm. Bellator, the retirement home. Liddell versus Ortiz, Vanderlei versus Rampage. Four. 
Bellator have done it before, and now they'll will do it again, making fights with the senior citizens of the UFC. What do you make of this kind of matchmaking, and specifically in the case of Liddell versus Ortiz, and in the way to make good ratings, or is it a bad for the sport? I don't really think if we really think about what's ailing the sport. I think we have to retire the argument that the retirement home thing is bad. Now, not in every case. It's not like we should completely be accepting of every permutation in this regard. Like we have somebody 60 versus 65, that might be an issue. But generally, is there really any indication to show that um, older fighters from the UFC's age of the golden age, right? So let's say tough to UFC 100, right? Somewhere in that time frame. Is there really any indication to show that those guys still fighting hurts MMA? There's just really no evidence for that. Not yet, anyway. Maybe something else would have to happen bad for that to for that to take place. But as I speak to you today, this notion that it's bad for MMA, what was good and what was bad for MMA years ago used to be like a really hot debate because everyone was very sensitive about how it looked. Um, and I think MMA is part of the firmament of the larger sporting world at this point. And so I have much fewer concerns about, oh, I'll make MMA look bad. Will it make MMA look bad? It's not to say that's an utterly irrelevant concern, but I don't think it should be as defining and as hardcore as it has been. So in terms of that consideration, I have I have, I have no problem with it whatsoever. Um, now, I have a bigger problem with it if the UFC was doing it, because it would be a bigger exposure. It would have, you know, what would we say that your product would be resorting to these kinds of things? It's like, it's the same thing as CM Punk. It's like, do I think that it, I'd have any problem if he was competing in Bellator? None. Zero. That would be a great place for him. I would have, I mean, just go do what you got to do. It's just when you get to the UFC is when it begins to meet to get a bit of a bit of a different issue, um, even if it is commercially viable. Now, that being said, what do I think of this kind of matchmaking? I don't think much. I think it's designed to appeal to um, passions of uh, a fan base that has partly aged and they're still trying to tug on those heartstrings. Um, is it an okay way to make good ratings? It's a proven way to make good ratings. So good or bad, I don't know, but it's a proven way. Uh, and what about the case of Liddell Ortiz? You know, you're asking me, do I really care about something like that? Not really, but there might be some other kind of MMA masters division or promotion or fight that gets me a little bit interested. Same with Vanderlei Rampage 4. Don't really have any interest in it, given how Vanderlei's chin has gone and the, their third fight went, sure. But... I don't think that if they booked it a fourth time, it'd be the end of the world for the sport, and they clearly need it in terms of generating ratings. So maybe maybe less of a good-bad issue and more of an inevitability issue. Someone says, let Bellator have as many MMA Masters main events as it can take and let younger talent use all the foot cream, Cold War-era creatine, tie boner pills, horse meat, and marijuana they want. US, UFC can be the clean league, clean in quotations, and Bellator can be the common sense league. Yeah. I will say I'm glad that Bellator is a place that doesn't resort to USADA. Even if you were in favor of that, uh, for me personally, having that across the board seems idiotic. Um, as a value-add proposition, it'll be easier to recruit talent when you have simply commission testing. If you enforced USADA-level testing in Bellator, I don't know what would happen to the product. Um, you know, it's one thing to have 90% of the best fighters and then have a lot of them or some of them or whatever portion you want to say fall through because of, even if they were ultimately exonerated, like Amin's or Romero, just to have those issues where you have to deal with them and it affects matchmaking. But to have, you know, 5 to 7% of them and then have to still have to deal with this issue 
it just seems idiotic. I don't know. I don't know that your business could survive, quite frankly. Again, you know, there's a big issue about how the sausage is made that all of us need to have at some point when we're ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to have that conversation. But some people still think that, you know, asking guys to fist fight in a cage and then just drink water and eat asparagus and tilapia is, you know, somehow. Or to do other things that are performance enhancing but legal but not do the kinds of things that have a medical beneficiary, uh, beneficial role that don't have necessarily any lasting uh, physical consequences. But we can't even have an argument about the medicinal nature about some of these things because why? I don't know. Did you guys see who died this past week? Uh, Look at forget his first name all the time. Um, let's see. Hold on. Roger Bannister died this week. Did you guys see that? First guy to run a four minute mile or to break the four minute mile. And of course, it's been broken a gazillion times since then. God, what was I reading the other day? There was a guy, because he ended up being a bit of a research scientist, I believe. Yeah, a doctor and an academic. Um, and there was a guy who was either a teammate of his, maybe John Landy, I'm not sure, um, who had argued that there might have been some guys who were able to break the four-minute mile because of PEDs, but his argument was, as a, he was also a physician, that if they took something that was um, and administered in such a way that didn't carry any real significant medical costs, right? So that would everyone just uses the catch-all word steroids, steroids. Very few things are actually steroids. Clenbuterol is not a steroid, right? It might have an anabolic profile, but it's not a steroid. In any case, um, that if it didn't have any, if it did have real medical benefit and it didn't cause any physical harm. You know, what on what grounds do you really ban it? Oh, it's against the spirit of the sport. I mean, the spirit of the sport is to make money for Visa. That's what that's what that's for. Just everyone's clear about that. I mean, if you go back to Cupertine's notion of amateurism around the er, the late nineteenth century and, and and what he wanted amateur sports to be and what he wanted the Olympics to be about, and now what it is, these arguments about spirit of the sport are just like totally anachronistic little league bullshit. Oh God, kill me. All right, Woodley. What's up with Tyron Woodley? Have you heard him when he is due to be back? Is his shoulder in rehab? Seems like there's little knowledge about the champ in one of the UFC's most competitive and viewed divisions. Also, there's a little bit of a drag in the welterweight division, currently with decent challengers like RDA, Wonderboy, Till, Covington, Pons, not having fight schedule. Now, we've been over that before because it happened previously at lightweight, and um, it's the case now where everyone's just saying no to each other. Eventually, these guys are going to have to say yes because otherwise they don't get paid. So I do think that will eventually end, but we're currently in this position because the rankings are totally broken that um, you can hold position even after losing incredibly. And uh, so why would you say yes to something if you can just wait for a better opportunity that might come around if you hold out? So um, that's probably what's happening, although eventually that will get moving because these guys have to fight right at some point. So, so there's that. Uh, but as far as Woodley and his shoulder, Again, if you've watched this live chat, this is not anything new that I'm telling you, and I'm not going to go over the point the whole time, but you cannot you cannot overstate how 
hard it is to rehab a shoulder, right? Your knee bends this way, your uh, elbow bends this way, right? Doesn't do much more than that. Your shoulder does uh, everything, right? You can rotate it this way, you can rotate it that way, you can go up, you can go back, you can go behind it, you can touch here. It just rotates in every direction. That is a very, very hard joint to heal. I had mine surgically repaired, as you all know, around 2009 or 10. Uh, I forget which year it was at this point, but uh, it has never been the same since. In fact, if I do side lateral raises, uh, I have to be very careful about how I do them, what kind of weight I put on them. I even just have to use bands a lot because I can feel all the reconstruction in here that put it all back together after I tore my labrum. I can feel it almost get hot, like someone's putting a hot fireplace poker right in the center of my shoulders. So I have to be very, 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 very difficult for me to to really get uh, any kind of any kind of pump there or to, you know, to create muscle fatigue or even central nervous system stress. Like it's hard. It's very hard for me. So uh, and now he's an elite athlete and I'm sure he has great doctors. I had a good doctor, too, but you know, I'm sure his body will rehab significantly better than mine. But he's also in his mid 30s. It takes time, boys. It takes time. All right. Another question about what's next for Frankie. We've already been over this. Mayor Beck versus Dunham. We've already been over that one as well. Uh, and Zabit, who is he facing? Who did I see? Oh, uh, Bokniak, right? Boy, I think um, I think Zabit might open up some eyes on that day. Bokniak's a good fighter, but Zabit, I don't know. I don't. I can't be. I can't be sure. My hunch is that that dude is super special, but we'll see. Um, let's see. Sabit and Marabek on Fight Pass and not even the headliners. What's up with that? What's up with that? What's up with that? Um, they got to fill out the card, bros. No one really knows who those guys are. They're probably there partly to keep them moving and also to attract, as Habib will, part of the Russian audience. Makes sense. Uh, okay. Rebranding the UFC. Look in an ideal world, would the UFC be better splitting the promotion into two, given the fact that it seems it have too many fighters, divisions, cards to maintain high viewing numbers? No, I don't think that splitting the viewer, I don't know which way they're going to go. They're going to go with like a strike force, strike force challengers model. If we were back in an era, if we were back in an era where, um, well, it would depend how they aired it. But if we were back in an era where there was a super high demand for the UFC, like there was back in, let's say, 2009 or so, right around UFC 100, if we were in that kind of an era, then maybe you could get away with it. Maybe that was the time to do it. I do think they can do things like Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series, which isn't exactly a separate promotion, but something outside of the octagon itself um, where you can gain entry to it. It airs in a particular way. It has a particular kind of fighter at a certain level by and large, certain kind of person that retracts, right? Um, I think you could do that, but to have a separate system uh, an official separate system rather than an unofficial separate system. I don't think it will work. One of the big issues I think facing Bellator now is, you know, how much of a market is there for a number two promotion? That's right? a very simple question. How much of a market is there? Uh, I don't know. It was never very big to begin with, but you could make it work if you had, you know, just enough stars and, you know, there was a lot of interest in MMA more generally. Now I don't know what the answer to that is. I really don't. I, I really wonder about that. When if MMA is no, I mean, it's not like MMA is um, 
you know, this notion that it's in peril, I think, is grossly overstated. But as I mentioned before, definitely coming back down to earth, which is fine. That was an inevitable, frankly, correction. But before all that, maybe the number two and even number three to an extent could really be uh, could really do something. Probably not number three, but number two could get get by here or there. I, I don't know how much is left of the number two market, which is really, I think, the issue facing Bellator at this point. So, no, I do not believe in splitting it in two. But it's a question that comes up every so often. Uh, Chael Sonnen on Cyborg having holes in her game. Hi, Luke. I'm not sure if you saw what Chael had to say on Cyborg post her last fight. Not only did I see it, I had him on my show to talk about it. If you guys didn't see it, he actually made two basic points. Number one, he argued that her wrestling is not great. She might have decent takedowns, particularly from the clinch and trips, and even like a decent double or whatever. Um, and she's good about like firing underhooks, but if you can chain a takedown together, there's not necessarily a lot to say about how good she is at stopping that. Moreover, it's pretty clear at this point she's not particularly strong in the clinch. Like whatever reputation she has being a shooter box fighter, it needs to be corrected a little bit because um, pretty clearly we've seen fighters be able to take advantage of that. So he says... Outside of Amanda, can you think of anyone else who can do this? And do you think Nunez waiting to fight Cyborg has actually helped her see her flaws? So I actually asked him the same question, right? Now, he didn't think that Kuniskaya's takedown was all that great. I thought it was like a really bad John Smith low single, you know, shoulder to the chin, ear to the head, pull on the heel. You don't drive straight back. You drive at an angle while you pull the heel, and then you drive at the same time, right? Like that. You have to get low at the same time. Um, in any case... I think she was up around the calf or something. But my point to him was, I didn't disagree with any of his analysis. In fact, I thought it was really smart, and no one else was talking about that. I didn't mention it on my post-fight special. However, however, uh, it's not clear to me who the person is who could take advantage of that. Now, maybe Amanda Nunes is that one, as you know. But is she like a much of a clinch fighter? Not that saying she couldn't be, but that's not the way she naturally likes to fight. She's good on the ground, but will she really wrestle? Maybe, maybe. I think in the, in the clinch, she's not strong offensively, but she can. Well, maybe not. Maybe she could be taken down. It's it's hard to say exactly. I spoke to Dean Thomas about it, and Dean Thomas was like, mark my words. Now, of course, he trains her, but he's like, mark my words. This is the woman to beat Cyborg. Trust me. You know, it's, it's, it's compelling to think about it that way. But um, the biggest issue to me was it's one thing to note Cyborg's flaws it's another to sort of pinpoint who the person is to take advantage of it. If Amanda Nunes fights her on the outside, hard to say exactly. Now, maybe she does some of those things where she gets in the middle of the clinch and starts going to work on her or gets a takedown and then goes to work on her there. That might tell us if she's the one. But even then, if she's the one, who else would it be? I just think Shevchenko is super talented, but she's too small. O'Malley, the controllable Diaz and McGregor. Hi, Luke. It is very early days for him, so I mean this by no means on fighting ability. But to me, Sean O'Malley seems to have some of the same qualities as Diaz, and he just writes the word weed next to it. Don't know what that means. And McGregor, flashy style, but comes across more so as a company man. The guy seems to have charisma and a cool style with a link to an audience, but seems malleable and willing to toe the line by some of his comments. Do you think this plays nicely for the UFC? Someone with some rawness and edge, but who can they maybe mold on their terms? Only time will tell. Uh, number one, he has to keep winning, uh, which he looked, before that injury, looked quite good at doing. Number two, I don't know what it means to say he's like Diaz. I mean, yes, he's a little counterculture, a little hip-hop, if that's what you mean, right? A little hip-hop culture, a little counterculture mixed together. But I don't know what, like, quality. I don't, like, he goes, Diaz, the same qualities as Diaz. Weed. 
Well, weed is not a quality. I don't know what you mean by that exactly. Um, but yes, he has a flashy style. He's good on the mic. He's got a genuine personality and he's young. The question is what's going to happen when he thinks he's entitled to something and he, maybe he's even earned it. Is he going to be easy to negotiate with? Uh, these guys all start out at like really humble and easy to work with. And then when they amass success, a lot of them begin to say, mm, I see things a little bit differently now. So I guess we'll see. Uh, but um, hard to tell right now. And someone says, there was a time when McGregor was a company man. Well, to an extent, he kind of still is, but uh, I know what you mean. What time was it? All right. Uh, as I grossly wipe my nose for an hour and a half, let's uh, go to the Twitter machine, at LThomasNews. Shoot me a tweet there using the hashtag chat rappers, and I'll get to those now. Um, okay, should fighters on the verge of title shots avoid fights in lieu of a title fight or take the number one contender fights to stay active? You know, look, it goes both ways. You can do what Frankie Edgar did, and then you can lose out on your opportunity, or you can do what Rashad Evans did all those many years sitting out, and you can also lose your opportunity. It's hard to say, but if you need money, you should take it because you have a minimum amount of time to collect cash. Um, and look, part of this game is just risk-taking. You have to take calculated risks, It's it, but there's no right or wrong answer here. Um, it just depends on the particular nature of the circumstances. But if you're going to sit out, don't sit out. Uh, don't sit out too long. Uh, and if you're going to take a fight, be sure that, to the extent possible, that you think you have a good chance of winning it. And, you know, even then there's no rule. But it, people think, oh, man, look at Frankie. He's proof that you should just sit. I've seen guys sit and lose opportunities too. Because what if you get injured after you sit, right, just from training? It happens, man. It happens either way. So there's, it's a very, very difficult equation. All right. Um, let's see. Hi, Luke. How do you see the rematch going between Canelo and Triple G? Not much differently than the first time. I think it'll look pretty similar, actually. Triple G's style doesn't really change. Not that much, anyway. Maybe some of his entries will change. Some of his combinations will change. But... Pretty similar, actually. Uh, do you think the fact that Chris Cyborg isn't able to get a viable contender will tarnish her legacy? Tarnish, no, but it won't burnish it. Big difference. If you could swap three Real Madrid players for three Premier League players, who would they be and why? Oof. I don't watch enough Premier League, but I can tell you who I don't like on Real Madrid. Lucas Vasquez can go tomorrow. Um, who else would I get rid of? I would have said Arbeloa, but he's gone. Uh, I'd swap, I can't believe I'm saying this because I do like Keylor Novice, but I'd swap Novice for De Gea. I'd get rid of Lucas Vasquez. I don't know enough about the Premier League to really give you a competent answer because I don't want another. I mean, I like Eden Hazard, but I don't really need him. Not right now. Um, so i get rid of Vasquez. I'd get rid of Novice if I could get De Gea. Otherwise, no. Who else would I get rid of to get a Premier League player? Nobody on Arsenal, I can tell you that. Woo, that team is doing poorly. Uh, oh, Kevin De Bruyne, he's a beast. Uh, maybe Sergio Aguero, maybe. Some of those Man City boys, they can, they can ball. All right, uh, Luke, in all the KOs you have witnessed in MMA, how many of those fighters took a stretcher right out of the cage? I can't think of very many, and this is why my eyebrow raised a little about Dalloway. Well, it's not Dalloway's call. 
to be clear about that. He wasn't like, get the stretcher, y'all. I'm not leaving this cage. I've probably seen it, I don't know, a couple dozen times, something like that. They're usually, they're usually a little bit worse than the one he got, but, you know, this guy also had an elevator accident that kind of ruined him a little bit, so. Um, let's see. What are you all bitter about? Uh, hi, Luke. How come you're not posting on Facebook as much as you used to? You were around four to five posts a day, but now it seems like once a day or less. No qualms here, but I'm just speaking on behalf of the people who use Facebook over Twitter because Facebook has decided. So in, in less than two years, I put together about 23,000 likes. And then what they did in response to all these various concerns about Russian bots and fake news and um, the like they have taken the spigot of water that was on for the ability to grow your site organically and they have turned it off. And now the only way to grow your site is to do it by paying, which I am not prepared to do. Now, folks have said Facebook was always that way. It was always pay to play. Well, it was always true that if you paid, you got a return. But it was also always true that if you knew what you were doing and you knew how to grow social media sites and I know how to grow Facebook organically, that you could do that. That day is now over. Now, I don't know if they'll change that. I don't know if they'll go back to a day where uh, you can turn the spigot back on organically and you can grow it. But I I don't understand what I need to be doing. Why do I need to be spending time on a platform that has made it impossible for me to grow on? I would rather put my energies into something else, like a YouTube or an Instagram or something. Um, I, I don't want to get rid of the page because 23,000 likes is not nothing, but it's not nearly enough to do a whole lot with. I can't grow it without paying. I'm not prepared to pay for it. I have much better ways to spend money. And um, and you can thank the folks at Facebook. I'm not the only one. I've talked about a lot of other content creators who have had the exact same issue. So they have done themselves a great disservice. How nice is it going to be to have three to four week break between this weekend's UFC event and UFC 223? Well, there's UFC London. So, but yes, point being is it's going to be really great. Um, with so much new talent popping up across divisions lately, Till, Adesanya, O'Malley, Hernandez, Dern, who might you think has the highest ceiling? Till Adesanya super fight in 2020. Yeah, those two probably, but you never know, man. Some of these guys can turn the corner. You never know. With all the kissing that has gone on in MMA since the start of 2018, would you rather, one, get mobbed and kissed by Yoel Romero post-fight, you mean after I got brutally KO'd, make out with Cerrone's grandma, or have Tom Brady kiss you Facebook docu-style series? I'll take Romero. Seems like the least three of the bad options. Uh, explain to me how Mackenzie Dern won the fight. I thought it was pretty close. Probably the first and the third round. Uh, but, yeah, the point being is someone asked me about her wrestling, and I was like, watch my post-fight. People were like, oh, her striking. Her striking needs to come along. Her striking may or may never come along, but she can always work on it. You know, the wrestling, that's really the only issue here is the wrestling because you know that if we can put the fight on the floor, she's going to have, like, an immediately clear advantage. Right, and not just an advantage, an extraordinary advantage. But we need a mechanism to get the fight there. Pulling guard seems inopportune, unless you can have some kind of like Iminari role to it, or you know, from guard, then you do a Barambolo, or from guard, you do some kind of Kuru Kuru sweep, like you saw McGregor hit on Diaz, something. But uh, the, her wrestling is—I mean, if you look at look at her look at her back next time next time she gets a single and she's running the pipe, her back is like this, like that. 
it's like she has scoliosis. Well, scoliosis is this, not this, but um, well, it's scoliosis is this, not this. In any case, uh, she doesn't put herself in a position to maximally leverage the position and has really, really poor technique in that spot. I mean, in, in jujitsu, her technique is like, it's like flawless, right? To me, it's the, if, if there's one thing she should be doing, it is, it is, it is, um, double X over and over and over and over and doubles switching to singles, single switching to doubles, high crotch, fireman's carry, all that stuff. No, not, not, no, just do not let her get in the gi, period. Uh, how athletic are the UFC heavyweights? Are there two or three athletes on every NFL roster who could be UFC champion in two years if they dedicated to training? Well, I don't know about the last one because it takes a certain kind of constitution. But did you boys and girls watch the NFL Combine? Oh, my God. Oh, my God, man. You get some of these linemen, defensive linemen, 315 pounds, running like a 4'8". It's like, you know, shocking level of strength and speed. Um, who was it? Who was it? Hold on a second. 2001 NFL draft. It was the guy that went behind Vic. Uh, what was his name? Leonard Davis. Leonard Davis, 6'6", 380. Hold on. Leonard Davis, NFL Combine. Let me read you his numbers. 6'6", 380. Here are his Combine results, and I nearly laughed when I read them. Uh, so he was 370 at the combine, 78 inches tall. All right. So 40 yard dash, he ran it in 5'3. Now that's not particularly fast, but for nearly 400 pounds, can you imagine a human refrigerator coming at you at that speed? That's pretty fast. Uh, making it 15 miles an hour. 20 yard dash, he ran it in three seconds. And 10 yard dash, he ran it in 1.8. Bench press, 33 reps. Of course, there's no Wonderlick score. A vertical leap. At nearly 400 pounds of uh, 30 inches. Ah? Uh? <laughs> Broad jump 105 inches. I mean, it's 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 insane. It's insane. A 400 pound, nearly 400, 6'6 man running and, and jumping 30 inches in the air. Nearly three feet. Uh, it's a level of athletic ability you just can't imagine. Um I, I've made this point before. Look at the other night. Look what happened on the basketball court with LeBron James doing a nutmeg behind his back on Tristan Thompson, his own teammate. Right? So he doesn't not only goes behind the back between two defenders, he goes behind the back between two defenders and nutmegs his own teammate to get the ball through. And then not only lays it up, but then draws the foul on a delayed shot. The night before, James Harden, 6'5, LeBron James is like 6'7, 275. The night before, James Harden, 6'5", you know, whatever, 220, 240, something like that, he absolutely just jukes, I forget the guy's name, who goes flying to the to the baseline, looks at him, and then buries the three. Like this incredible reflex that he has in timing. You know, imagine if – like we always have this sense about MMA. Oh, heavyweights, they're so bad. And we know intellectually it's because the stick and ball sports recruit the best of them, at least in this country and, and, and whatnot. But I don't think we really fully appreciate – and again – Fighting is about constitution. Like, do you have the mental wherewithal to be like fist fight another guy in a cage? Even really good athletes don't. But I am also saying that imagine if MMA was the only sport you could participate in. What would be the best division? Probably heavyweight, or at least the most exciting. 
just the just the level of what they're able to accomplish is absurd and the level of athletic drop off that we have also pretty absurd uh it's pronounced patreon it's pronounced i don't give a fuck all right Good question. Luke, did you ever find out if UFC fighters got royalty payments off of their individual Reebok fight kit sales? I heard even if they get anything, it's as low as $3 check per kit sold. Here is what I was able to find out. Now, I did not speak to everybody on the UFC roster, but I did talk to as many people as I could, including former champs or at least championship caliber fighters, let's say top five fighters. Now, I am not saying that they did not get a cut. That is not what I am saying because I don't know that. I do not know that to be sure. What I do know to be sure is that not one person I spoke to ever has any knowledge of receiving anything. So, and I spoke to dozens. So, take that for what it's worth. First, knowing you, knees to the body of a grounded opponent sized you the most. As your taste changed, is it still the same? Or is there another technique that's your favorite now? Um, so I like that one a lot. I like a good uppercut. A good, solid, tight uppercut I like. The ones where you don't get like countered all the time. Most of the time, you guys get these the uppercut and they'll lean off the center. And then they'll throw an overhand on the same side. You know, or they'll sit leaning in the same direction. Uh, ooh, Seahawks are trading defensive end Michael Bennett in the seventh round pick to the Eagles for a fifth round pick and wide receiver Marcus Johnson. I'm sure he'll, I'm sure he'll not have many opinions about that. Um, yeah, it's a good solid uppercut. Kind of, just don't see a lot of them that are all that great. What did you think of the video where Habib wrestles a bear? Nothing. I don't care. Um, let's see. Should UFC book Kane versus Arlovsky as a tune-up fight? Should Frankie go to 135? Also, how great was that Rogan DC Adelaide bird roasting? The, the roasting was hilarious. Kane versus Arlovsky. That's an interesting one. Because, um, you know, they put two wins together. Where is he ranked? Let's see. He is currently ranked at 10. Eh. Uh, that, I don't know. Let's see when he comes back. Because I, I, there's a decent chance Arlovsky fights before that. So that wouldn't necessarily make sense. Should Frankie go to 135? Kind of been over that. And the roasting, yes. The roasting was tremendous. Being a new convert to boxing, does boxing have more stars than MMA with Triple G, Canelo, AJ Wilder, Lomachenko? At the moment, maybe. At the moment, maybe. It didn't used to be that way. But we also now have the biggest active fighter. In, well, if you want to call McGregor active, I suppose. That's debatable. Um, but yes. Okay, we have the we, okay. We have the most popular non-retired. How about that? What about at least using Facebook for important posts? Announcement, breaking news. Why am I going to post on something that's not growing? I don't really know. I don't know what to do with it, to be honest. Um, if the UFC scraps the proposed Nunes versus Pennington fight for the Cyborg Nunes fight, do they owe Pennington anything? 
an interim title. Well, I don't want to see an interim title at, at 135, but if they wanted to give her a number one contender fight or something else, even though that's her current position, or she wanted to wait, I wouldn't be opposed to that. Chances of a men's 165 division. I hope very low because I think it'd be a really bad idea. Which UFC fighter under 25 would you prefer to adopt as your child if you would force me to? And that question literally makes no sense. Have you seen the women's flyweight rankings? How do you feel about the placement of the fighters? I, I don't have much of an opinion about women's flyweight other than they've got Shevchenko at number one because everything else is so crazy about that division right now and so brand new and in transition that it doesn't make a lot of sense to have think very hard opinions other than um, that I suspect in a couple of years it won't look anything like that, which is true sort of of any division, but in particular that one. It's filled with, I think, a lot of very temporary figures in terms of their placement. Okay. Thank you guys so much for watching. I really appreciate it. There should be an MMA beat tomorrow, whether cooperating. Please like this video and subscribe to MMA Fighting. I always appreciate it when you do. Shoot me a question, comment, or a smart-ass remark at lthomasnews at gmail.com. What am I saying? LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. Full name, LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. And until next time, my friends, thank you so much for watching. Stay frosty.